Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hello, church family. Remember me? Seriously, um, it's good to be back home. I think most of you know, as of the first of this year, I've gone half-time after 40 years here at Good Shepherd, and the leadership here uh, gave me a most wonderful and gracious eight-week sabbatical. Jan and I had a great time away. We spent a lot of time touring the southeast part of the country, and we both came home and said, best road trip ever. So, But I'm excited to be back home, and I'm excited to be a part of this seven-part I Am series that's looking at the seven sayings of Jesus, the I am sayings out of the Gospel of John. Today I get to take a look at um, what I call the the big three in one, okay? A statement that Jesus made in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Man, there is so much to say here in those three little statements, and I'm really glad that Pastor Austin gave me three hours to talk about this with you today. So, pop some corn, grab a snack. I'm I'm kidding, okay? But there's a lot to say, so I want to get right, right into it. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'd open our spiritual eyes and ears and hearts today to this vitally important truth that Jesus is giving us here. Uh, may your words be transformational, and may we see that power at work in each of our lives today. Amen. Before I dive into these three I am statements, I want to uh, give some context to what Jesus is saying. So I'm going to read a little bigger, fuller passage than just the 16th verse of chapter 14. I'm going to read for you John 14, 1 through 11. If you've got a Bible, uh, follow along. I'm going to be reading out of that New American Standard translation. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said, How long have I been with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father, abiding in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. You know, all the words of Jesus are absolutely timeless. But in light of this coronavirus that we're dealing with, this pandemic, I think the words are also really timely. This whole passage starts with, let not your heart be troubled. How many of you needed to hear that today? Let not your heart be troubled. You know, I was thinking this week, if I would say those words to you, there'd be a level of comfort there. You know, I was your pastor for a long time. I've been around the block a few times with God in terms of going through crises. And you'd probably say, okay, Pastor Kent, that's good. But I want to remind you, this is Jesus 
saying these words. Not me. This is the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus. And he has way more weight, way more assurance given, way more comfort when he says those words to us. Plus his assurance, it's so much more than just words. His assurance comes with the Holy Spirit's very presence with us. I read a recent uh, headline in the Babylon Bee. It's an online newspaper that's very satirical. This was the headline. God to ignore coronavirus quarantine and continue to be everywhere present. I love that, don't you? God isn't quarantining himself. He's with us at every moment through this whole thing. And I'm so glad for that. So, in this passage, Jesus is ultimately talking about heaven. He's talking about his followers' ultimate destination, the place that he has been preparing for us. But he's talking about so much more than where we're going to spend forever. He's talking about who is going to be there with him and with us. That's why it's way more important to realize that God's ultimate purpose in creating mankind, go all the way back to the beginning, it wasn't about the garden. The garden was just the place where the purpose could take place. And that purpose was relationship with mankind, relationship with God as our loving Father. Heaven is the same way. Yes, heaven is our ultimate destination. It's where God's forever purpose will be fulfilled. But the purpose is an eternal, loving, life-giving relationship between Father God and his children and then we with each other as, as brothers and sisters. It's where Jesus will receive us unto himself. It's all about relationship. Heaven is just a destination, as wonderful as it's going to be. But that place will fulfill God's plan and purpose from the beginning of time. A perfect love relationship with him that will last forever. You know, time doesn't permit me to dig into this passage in, in full depth. Suffice it to say that Jesus is being very clear here, especially in verses 7 through 11, when he's clearly talking about the fact that he is the great I am. I'd encourage you on your own this week, since you have time, take some time and meditate on those verses and just see what God might speak to you. So, heaven is our final destination, yes, but relationship with God is his ultimate plan and purpose for us, for all of us. So the question for today is, so how do we get there? How do we know for sure that that's where we're going to spend forever? And that question sets the stage for what Jesus says to us in verse number six. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You know, that statement is one of the greatest revelations in all of the Bible as to who Jesus is and was and what he came to earth to do. But it's also probably the greatest sticking point there is, the greatest obstacle to faith for so many people in our world at large. You see, it's the watershed. It's, it's the great divider between Christianity and all other faiths and all other religions. I want to be clear on something. In the original language, Jesus could not have been more clear than he was when he said those words. Because every one of those statements includes the word the. It's, a, it's called a definitive article, okay? And he repeats it three different times. He's not saying, you know, I'm a way. I'm one way among many ways, as if that's one of the options there is out there. He is clearly saying, I am the way, the one and only way. I am the truth, the one and only truth, and I am the life, 
the one and only real life. Years ago, uh, Jan and I were in a book club with our neighbors in an effort to reach out to them and get to know them better and hopefully share uh, faith with them. And one of the neighbors picked as the book we were going to read a book called The Celestine Prophecy. This, this is a book, um, I shouldn't laugh, it's a book uh, that talks about a story as if it were true that they found in Peru, in the jungles of Peru, an ancient manuscript that contained nine insights into life and that if you followed them, a person could move and move society, if everyone followed it, into a unity with the divine. If you followed the Celestine prophecy, you could create a spiritual culture here on earth at one with God. Jan and I saw that as a perfect opportunity to say, well, so what about Jesus? And I will never forget this. One of the couples who, went, who goes to a very liberal church in town, uh, by that I mean a place that thinks the Bible's a nice book, but it's really not the word of God, they, they said, no, 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 no. Jesus did not mean he was the way. He was trying to say that he was a way. He should have said, or the Bible should say, a way, not the way. And Jan and I were just dumbfounded. I mean, we kind of didn't argue with them in the moment too much, but thought, there's no way. Jesus clearly said he was the way. It's what he said, and it's what he meant. And the issue is, what do you do with what he so clearly said? You know, in, in the sports world, do you know what it means to be called a goat? I'm not talking about a scapegoat. You know, you're the goat. You're the reason your team lost. In sports today, there's, there's a term goat. It means you're the greatest of all time. And I know that I'm biased, okay? Most of you know that about me. But when you talk about the NFL and when you talk about running backs, there's only one goat. And his name, say it with me was Jim Brown. Now, if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, you might argue, no, no, Emmett Smith, he's the greatest of all time. If you're a Bears fan, oh, no, Walter Payton, he's the greatest of all time. I know I'm right. But I want to say to you, it's debatable. It's an opinion. And in the scope of eternity, who really cares if Jim Brown was the greatest of all time? What difference does it make? But with Jesus... Jesus saying, I am the way, that, folks, is a life or death decision that people make. It's got eternal implications, okay? Eternal consequences to what you believe about what he said. And it boils down to this. Either Jesus was a really good man, a fine moral example, maybe the greatest teacher the earth has ever seen, but he was delusional. He was mentally unstable to say that he was the way, or he's the son of God, and he's telling the truth. You see, is he the God of all creation who has come to this earth to be the solution to our problem of sin? You see, this is what separates Jesus and Christianity from all of the religions. It's what separates Jesus from all of the prophets and saviors and religious leaders that have ever lived on this planet. There's no way around his claim. Either he is or he isn't God himself, the savior of mankind, the one and only way back into relationship with our heavenly father, the only way to have a place in heaven with God forever. You know, the argument that this is way too narrow, 
for, for Jesus to say that he's the way, the only way, it's way too narrow. I would never argue with that. Because Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke talked about this way being very narrow. So he, he didn't disagree with that idea. But narrow is different than exclusive. As a matter of fact, if you study the Bible, you'll realize that Jesus as the way is inclusive. Because at other times he talked about the fact that whoever will can come to him. Whoever puts their faith in him will be saved. The issue is we need to come to God on his terms, not on our own. And you see, that means that you have to admit there's a problem. You're a sinner. And sin has been a problem. Sin is the thing that separates us from God. And that we need help. We need a Savior. We need somebody to come and cleanse us and restore us and fix this problem that sin has caused. You see, that's why Jesus came to this earth. He came to pay the price for our sins through his death on the cross. No one else could do that. Nobody else would do that, and no one else did that. It was Jesus and Jesus only. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, it's only pride that keeps us from admitting the fact that we need help, that we need a Savior. This past January, I did a funeral for a very dear friend of mine. Tom Terrell was his name. And at that funeral, Tom's son, Jesse, shared one of the defining hallmarks of Tom's life. And I've been thinking about this ever since Jesse shared it, because I think it's such, it, gives, it has such great benefit to us, and it's something really all of us worth practicing. Jesse said, and I'm going to read this so I don't goof it up, Tom never defended God or tried to prove him to others. He just let the Jesus within him shine forth. He just let the Jesus within him love other people well. You see, the Tom I knew was always, always willing to share his faith, to talk about what he believed. He was one of the most open people I've ever known with regards to that. But the point is, Tom had no sense of having to convince anybody that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He just loved people and spoke truth in love and then knew that it wasn't his job to convict or convince. It was the Holy Spirit's job. And you know what? He's always way better at that job than you are, or especially than I am. Isn't that freeing to think about that? We, we absolutely speak the truth. We, we share with people what we know to be the truth about Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to take that truth and put it into a person's heart in a way that is real. I am the way, I am the truth. I think partially the reason Jesus said that was to reinforce point number one. It's sort of like him saying, I am the way. No, really, really, it's true. I, I, I'm telling you the truth. I am the way. But there's more to it than just that, okay? We also need to know this truth about Jesus as God, Jesus as the truth. In the book of Titus, in the first chapter, Paul writes this. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. 
When Jesus said, I am the truth, he wasn't talking about a system of rules that you have to follow in order to punch your ticket to get to heaven. You see, the truth is found in a person, but the truth of God's word also is not to be seen as a rule book. It's a guidebook that shows us how to live this life in a way that is rich and satisfying and gives us purpose and gives us meaning. Jesus came not only to give us eternal life someday, he also came to give us abundant life in the here and now. You see, that truth is designed to set us free, not put us under some weight of obligation of having to try to measure up to some standard that, that we could never measure up to. I find it ironic, and I think also very timely, that we live in a day and age when, when people are encouraged to Hey, find and live your own truth, man. Find and live your own truth. Whatever you think is true, whatever you say is true, it's true for you. That's your truth. And that becomes the truth. You see, to think that way totally obliterates the notion that there's an objective truth out there. That there's some standard that absolutely is the truth that should be paid attention to and, and should be followed. You see, if there's no truth, if truth is whatever you think it is or whatever you say it is, then man becomes the ultimate arbitrator or decider of right and wrong. And I think it's why we live in such moral confusion and moral chaos in our world today. And it just seems that the slippery slope is just getting steeper and steeper and steeper all the time. I think we're reliving what the book of Judges says on two different occasions. In Judges 17, 6, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Those same words finish up the book in chapter 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No king is a, is a statement about there was no absolute authority. There was no standard of truth. There was no absolute right and wrong. And I think if anything goes then everything goes. And again, that slippery slope becomes steeper and steeper and steeper all the time. I want to get off topic just a little bit and share something I felt this morning was important to share. And this is personal opinion. I want to be real clear on that. I do not think that this coronavirus pandemic is God's judgment against the world. I do think that it's a result of living in a fallen world and it's one of the consequences that comes with that. But I absolutely believe that God, if he gets his way, wants to use this for great, great good if everyone will pay attention to what he wants to, us to see in this. See, I believe that um, at this time, this, this prolonged crisis is designed to cause us to face some really important issues, things that we can't ignore or shouldn't ignore. It's an opportunity for people who are not believers, not followers of Jesus, to face and to think about the realities of this life being fragile, being fleeting, and the fact that this could all end in a minute. I mean, this is in our face probably like never before. This life could end, and what's next? There's a, a, a design here to cause people to think about eternity. I think it's a God-given extended moment to ponder this life and what comes next. It's a chance to examine their relationship and their standing with God or lack of relationship with him. 
I think that 9-11 was a wake-up call that didn't last. Frankly, I think in the midst of that crisis, we hit the snooze button and things kind of went back to normal. This coronavirus pandemic is a more prolonged thing in hopes that, again, I think I'm speaking God's perspective, in hopes that people truly take to heart how fleeting life is and that there is a life after this. There's an eternity that everybody is going to spend somewhere. I personally hope that you're praying for your friends and your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, that this, not only do they make it through this pandemic, but that they find new life in Jesus if they don't already have that. I also think that this, this world crisis is an opportunity for Christians to kind of recalibrate their own lives as well. Maybe to hit the reset button in some areas and to uh, find places where, you know, I'm, I'm not making the priorities in my life that I should be. And I'm going to have time now to choose to make some better decisions and better choices. Are we taking the time to really know the truth and live out the truth that we know? That's why I think it's so imperative that we're spending time in this time in God's word so that we know the truth and therefore have the opportunity and the ability to live it out. Not as a rule book, you know, not as something that, oh, there's something else I'm not doing and you feel bad about, but again, as a guidebook, okay? It's a way of life given to us by the author of life himself. That gets us to the third statement. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. This last I am statement in this portion of scripture, I think, gets to the ultimate reason and purpose, again, for Jesus coming to this earth. Yes, he is the way, the only way into a restored relationship with God. Yes, he is the truth, not one truth among many truths. He's the truth. But ultimately, I think what we need most as people in order to have a relationship with God is a now and forever life a new life, a restored life. And that's what Jesus said he came to give us. Again, sin caused the separation from God, okay? Sin caused our spirit man, the spiritual side of us, to die. Our spiritual nature died because of sin. But Jesus came not only to forgive our sins, to heal that separation, he came to restore us back to life, body, soul, and spirit. John 1.4 says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. It's a life and a light that we need to respond to. We need to believe it, receive it, embrace it, take it to heart, take it into our very lives and beings so that its power might change us from the inside out. One final encouragement today before I close. I don't think this pandemic uh, coronavirus is meant to scare anybody. That's not the intent. Yes, take it seriously. Be careful, follow good safety guidelines, but you don't have to and you shouldn't live in fear because God is with us in the midst of this thing, all right? He wants to comfort you if you're fearful. He wants to give you peace in the midst of this crisis. My encouragement to you is draw near to him. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Spend time with other believers who encourage you. Let him help you, and he will. I, I do believe, as I said earlier, one of the positive benefits to come out of this thing is that everyone, most everyone, has time to think about God and their relationship with him. So I want to ask you today, what do you believe? Where do you stand in terms of a relationship with God?
what do you think and believe about him? And what does that look like today? When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, what do you do with that? My great, great hope is that you believe it and that you come to receive it, that God has desire for you for personal relationship that you find through Jesus Christ, his son. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. You see, it's his life, the resurrected life of Jesus, that empowered life that he lived as he rose from the dead, that he desires to impart to you and me, to bring change into us once and for all and forever. You see, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, when they receive him as the way, the truth, and the life, he, by his Holy Spirit, enters into you and gives you new life. He infuses his very life into your life. And at that moment, you receive abundant life in the here and now. You receive an ability and a desire to follow him, his way, his truth. But you also receive eternal life forever. You have an assurance, a promise that you're going to spend forever with God in heaven. So as you think about this and ask yourself the question, what, what do I believe about Jesus? My great hope is that you will embrace him by faith. But I also want to say to you, if, if you're listening to this and you say, Kent, I'm really not sure. I'm, I'm still wrestling. I'm trying to decide what I believe. I want to say to you, that's okay as long as you stay in the wrestle. I just want everybody who's listening to this today to realize that there is a day coming for one and all, for every person who has ever lived on the face of this earth. You're going to be faced with this reality about Jesus and those very words he spoke about himself. In Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 9, it says, For this reason God highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those are in, that are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there is a day coming when you will either acknowledge with great praise and thanksgiving in your heart, great, great, great gratitude that you did know Jesus as Savior and Lord, or you're going to have to acknowledge the fact that that is indeed who he is. But you'll do so with great regret. It's as if you'll say, oh no, it's true, and I missed it. You see, God's heart is that no one should perish, that no one come to the end of this life not having placed faith in Jesus. It's not about living life your own way. It's not about living your own personal truth. It's about coming to faith in the one who is the way, who is the truth, and who came to give you life now and forevermore before it's too late. So I, I want to say this as I close. If you're already a believer, if you're already a follower of Jesus, take time in this time to draw close to him, to draw near to him. Spend time reading his word. Spend time in prayer. If you want an antidote to 
living your own truth or getting caught up in the, the mess, the, the moral chaos that's out there that could confuse you and cause you to wonder, what is the truth? Spend time in, in God's word. He'll help you with that confusion. He'll lead you to reality, to real truth. Also spend time praying for others. Pray for your Christian brothers and sisters. Pray for your friends who maybe don't know Jesus. Reach out to people in love in appropriate ways. I read online this week, it's much better as Christians that when this is all over, that we will be known for, as people who deposited treasure in heaven rather than who hoarded toilet paper here on this earth. I think that's a great reminder that even in the midst of social distancing, we need appropriately to reach out in love and care and kindness to those around us. If you're not a believer, if you're listening to this and you're not a follower of Jesus, I really do believe that God had you listen to this today because this is your day. Today is your day. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit has brought you to this very point to give your life to Jesus, to choose to follow him as your Savior and Lord, to commit yourself to the fact that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he has those promises for you today. If you'd like to make that commitment, I want to ask you to pray with me right now if you would. It's very simple. It's just acknowledging the facts. So pray with me if you would. Father, today I, I admit the fact that I, I'm a sinner, that I have broken relationship and fellowship with you. But I also, Lord, today am very thankful for the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross and paid the price for my sins so that I could be restored into relationship with you as my father and so that I might spend eternity with you forever in heaven. Today, I believe and receive Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins and for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that simple prayer, your life is never going to be the same. I, I promise you that. You are on a new path. You have begun a new journey, but you're going to need some help along the way. So my great encouragement to you today is Find somebody you know who's already a follower of Jesus and tell them what you did today. Tell them that you placed faith in Christ and talk to them about that. Let them help you understand, how do I walk this journey out? They'll be glad to help you. They'll show you. They'll, they'll talk to you about how do you pray? What should I be reading in the Bible? How do I grow in this faith? And they'll be a great encouragement to you about this commitment that you've made today. If you don't have anybody that you know is a Christian, I want to encourage you to contact us here at the church. The information will be on this video as to how you can do that. We'll have somebody get back to you because we want to help you in this new commitment that you've made today to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord because he is the way, the truth, the life. God bless you. Hey, next Sunday, Easter Sunday. Pastor Austin has a powerful message of great hope and faith that he's going to be sharing with you. And I can almost not wait until next Sunday, but we'll see you then. Mm -hmm.